One of the things you've probably noticed if you tune into this podcast on a regular basis is that over time, everything becomes The Andrew Clavin Show. Others may start out with different opinions and points of view, but eventually they all come around to having my opinion and my point of view, which are otherwise known as the truth. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, how does he do that while remaining so incredibly calm and physically attractive? Is it because my brain is closer to the surface and therefore better able to absorb reality? Or is it because having been born in the reign of Amenhotep-Ra, I have acquired the wisdom of several lifetimes? Or is it just because I'm an old bald guy, which amounts to much the same thing? The answer is this. When I'm wrong, I change my mind. To put that another way, when I make an assumption and the facts then contradict it, I abandon my assumption and replace it with the facts. For instance, when I first saw Donald Trump was running for president, I said he seemed to me like an ignorant blowhard who knew nothing about the issues and would therefore do a poor job. Trump countered that he was a smart guy who would learn the ropes when he needed to and would appoint the best people to do what needed doing. It turns out we were both right. He was an ignorant blowhard who was unprepared for office and he was a smart guy, and he did appoint the best people, so after a chaotic start, he's had an amazingly productive and even excellent first year as president. So I changed my mind and said hooray. Now I'm simply waiting around for everyone else to admit that they were wrong and change their minds to agree with me. And weirdly enough, that process has finally begun. Because over time, everything becomes The Andrew Clavin Show. Trigger warning, I'm Andrew Clavin, and this is The Andrew Clavin Show. The mailbag is tomorrow and Molly Hemingway is today. It's a perfect world. I mean, what else, what else could you ask? That's like a perfect world. The mailbag tomorrow, Molly Hemingway today. If I woke up every morning and could say that, it would be a great day. The mailbag, go on to thedailywire.com and subscribe for a lousy 10 bucks a month or subscribe for a lousy 100 bucks for an entire year and get the Leftist Tears Tumblr, which you will love. But also that will give you the right to ask questions in the mailbag. And the way you do it is you hit the podcast button. You go to my podcast and on my podcast, there will be a mailbag uh, button that you can just press that and send your questions in. The answers, you can ask about anything you want, politics, religion, personal life. The answers are guaranteed 100% correct and will change your life on occasion for the better. So that is tomorrow. So get your questions in today. I have to mention this one thing, you know, James Damore, remember that guy from Google? He wrote the, the uh, you know, uh, what, what would you call it? A... Um, a manifesto, I guess, where he said, you know, that it was unfair to have um, quotas for hiring women, and it's very possible that women have different desires and different uh, strengths and maybe aren't as good at tech as men are, and so they fired him. And so now he's suing, he is suing, saying they, um, with another guy, he says they are claiming that they were belittled and punished for their conservative political views, that they are uh, belittled for being Caucasian, that Caucasian white white men, essentially conservative white men, are ridiculed and ostracized and, and they're not treated fairly. And the reason I start with talking about this is because if you've been listening and you've been listening to our podcast, the podcast I did with Knowles, Another Kingdom, this fantasy suspense story that we've been doing is an iTunes uh, series. And it's come down to the last, we're up to number 11. There are 13 episodes altogether, so there are two more episodes. 
And it's been getting these great reviews and everything. And I said, you know, if you help out, we can start to pitch this in Hollywood because they'll see it's popular and they'll come to me. And a couple of people have come to me. I still have a couple of pitches to do ahead of time. But the big pitch that I did was to somebody I like very much. And I didn't want to bring up their name, but now I have to. Because on Sunday night, the the, Glo- the Golden Globe Awards were on, right? And the <clears throat> Handmaid's Tale won two Golden Globe Awards. This is the company that I was pitching to. This is Warren Littlefield's company. He's a really nice guy, very brilliant guy. Uh, The woman who works for him is one of the best story people I've ever met. She's just terrific. I went in and pitched. As I told you when I did it, I walked in the room. They started dissing Donald Trump. The minute I walked into the room, I I was able to sort of weave through the, you know, tiptoe through the tulips. But, you know, I'm always very honest. And I always tell people, I said to them, you know, I am a completely politically incorrect person. I don't believe in feminism. This is not, this story is kind of an anti-feminist story. You know, I knew I was taking a, a big risk. But now they have come forward and announced after the Golden Globes, the entire cast of the show, the, um, uh, the Handmaid's Tale came out and announced that they are part of the resistance against Donald Trump. And they say there are a lot of times, and Warren says there are a lot of times, we wish we were not as relevant as we are. We went into development and then in production, and the world was a very different looking place. It was not a Trump world. And then midway through the first season, the reality changed. And I think each and every day, we're reminded of what we carry forward, a responsibility to Margaret Atwood's vision, and also to be part of the resistance. Now, with all respect to the guy, like I said, I think he's a real, the minute I met him, I realized he was a class act and a really good producer and all this. There's no correlation between The Handmaid's Tale and the world of Donald Trump. No, women are not being oppressed. Donald Trump hasn't done anything to women. Women are the same old American women they always were. If anything, if anything, there's been a kind of a lot of attention paid to sexual harassment in various business locations, and that'll die down and go away, believe me, and vanish, and it'll go back to men abusing women as they have since the dawn of time. That is what men and women do to one another. They abuse each other in different ways. But all I'm saying is, like, I can't sue, of course, I would never do this anyway, because I just don't think it's right. But I can't sue and say Hollywood as an entity keeps me from telling a story that uh, disagrees with this mainstream narrative, this narrative that somehow um, these people's artistic lives are wrapped up in attacking everything I believe in, which is not Donald Trump, but conservatism, uh, anti-feminism, a world in which people respect different diversified points of view in which uh, you can be a gay guy, but at the same time, you can say, you know what, as a, as a cake maker, I don't want to cater your wedding. Those are things that I believe in and believe in everybody being free. And I can't sue people for that. And it, and this is one of the reasons I keep telling conservatives that you have to build entities that do this stuff because there is no way to beat them. Believe me, every, every conservative I know, what they secretly want is they secretly want good reviews in the New York Times. They secretly want, you know, Steven Spielberg to make their movie. They want Fox to produce it and all that. It's not going to happen. It's never going to happen. And if it starts to happen, they're going to make sure that their voice actually overrides your voice in everything you say. So we need these new venues and new, you know, techniques and these kind of revolutionary ways of putting forward stories like this podcast that don't depend on them because that is what we're up against. And it's there's no, it's not like Google. There's no suing them because there are a million different employees and they have the right to express their opinion. It's just that we can't express our opinions if we don't have venues as well. And people have to really start uh, doing this because what they're defending is a narrative. What they're creating is a narrative. And we'll talk more about that in just a minute. But first, you know, every day I come to work here and I say to myself, 
Gee, the building's on fire and there are bodies lying in the hall. What's going on? It's because we don't use ZipRecruiter.com. Actually, that's probably not true anymore. Actually, now we probably have started to use <laughs> ZipRecruiter.com because I noticed some people, we actually now have talented, intelligent people. Not on this show, mind you, because this is the dumping ground. But, <laughs> but everywhere else, we want to use ZipRecruiter.com because ZipRecruiter.com helps you hire people in a totally different way. They post your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards with just one click. And then what makes it different is ZipRecruiter actively looks for the most qualified candidates and invites them to apply. So instead of you going out and finding the candidate, ZipRecruiter goes out and finds them for you, grabs them by the collar, drags them in and says, here's a job for you. And everything works out. 80% of employees of, of employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site in just one day. ZipRecruiter is the smartest way to hire. And right now, my listeners can post jobs on ZipRecruiter for free. That's right. That's cheap, right? That's that's even cheaper than money. That's free. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash DailyWire. ZipRecruiter.com slash DailyWire to try it for free. Go to ZipRecruiter.com slash DailyWire. Don't let things like this show happen to you. You could get good people to, to work for you. You don't need to spell your name. Oh, yeah, it's true. It's Daily Wire, which is not spelled Clavens. <laughs> so we're on, you're on your own. So, uh, you know, again, I, I hate to keep getting diverted, but so many stu- so much stuff happened yesterday. It was just fascinating to me. That football game, the Georgia Bulldogs against, this is the college champ. Now, I don't follow college uh, football, but because I'm boycotting the NFL like everybody else, I am following. I got to get my football hit. So I went to the Georgia and it's the uh, Alabama Tide, the Crimson Tide. And <clears throat> first of all, I, you know, I, I won't go into it because I know some people are not that fascinated with football, but the Tide was way behind. They came back 13 points, tied it at 20, three seconds left, got a fairly, I won't call it an easy field goal to kick. And they bring on this senior, what was his name? Uh, Andy Papanastos. And and he misses the kick in the last three seconds of the game. So it's 20-20 and he goes out. Do we have that just that brief clip of him kicking? Uh, I, I mean, it wasn't, he didn't just miss it. Maybe not, but it, 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 yeah, all right. It wasn't, he didn't just miss it. He blew the kick last three seconds. And here's this guy, he's a senior. He'll never, I mean, all I could sit there, I was just sitting that poor guy because he is going to have to live with that forever. But the other thing that happened that was really interesting was that Trump was introduced and he came out for the national anthem. And people are trying to say, well, people were booing, but it doesn't sound like it to me. It sounds like the crowd went wild. Here's just a little clip you can judge for yourself. Okay, we kill it. Yeah, right, so that's, that's there was some booing in there, but they're, they're really cheering for him, and they're cheering for him because he's coming up for the national anthem. And of course, the NFL, which you know I've always loved. I love football. I love watching the NFL. I have a hard time following the college rankings. That's why I don't follow college football. So I've always followed the NFL. They are tanking, and they are now in a very exciting 
postseason and nobody is watching. Their ratings are further down than ever. And I, like, you know, I say that I'm boycotting them, but it's not quite true. I didn't make a decision and say, until they stand up for the flag, I'm going to boycott them. I just, the heart went out of me. I don't want to watch a, a, a game. Uh, you know, this is America's game, the NFL, baseball. These are, these are American games. I don't want to watch a game where they diss the flag. I just don't want to do it. I can't, I cannot bring my heart to, to like focus on the game when these guys... Look, I disagree with their protest, but that's not the problem. They have the right to the protest. They have the right to their opinion. But that's not the way you do it, because what they're asking for are American rights. So don't diss the American flag. What you're asking me to care, you're asking me to care about you as a fellow American. Don't diss the American flag. It's it's uh, self-destructive. It's not helping your own cause. What kills me about this, though, is the NFL gets together and they're thinking, why are our ratings dropping? What is it? You know, it must be injuries. It's injuries to our big players like Aaron Rodgers and all this stuff. And one guy says, a director of the University of Alabama sports communication program, I'd be stunned if any single factor contributed more than 2% to the ratings decline. And now a new survey finds that 33% of NL fans have boycotted the league because of the flag. I mean, what the thing I'm trying to get to is we now live in a world of two realities, reality and the news. We live in a world of which these in which these people, you know, who give us the news, who give us entertainment, who give us Hollywood, they give us Handmaid's Tale, they give us football, they do all this stuff. They are living in a reality that is just them talking to each other. And the rest of us are living in the real world. The rest of us are living in the real world. These guys cannot believe that they are destroying their brand by letting these guys diss the flag. And again, it's not about their protest. They have the right to their opinions, their political opinions, just like you and me. That's not the point. The point is you don't diss the flag because that represents all of us in all political stripes, of all political stripes, of all political opinions, you don't diss the flag. I mean, that's, it's so, so basic. And nobody wants to watch you make a million dollars throwing a ball around if you're not going to respect the country that is supporting you. So it's like this crazy, like this crazy world we now live in where we keep saying to people, you know, X, Y, Z, and they kept saying, nah, it's not that. It's like that joke, you know, like I have a headache, would take the nail out of your forehead. Nah, it's not the nail in my forehead, it's something else. It is, it's the nail in your forehead. And one of the things, and we're going to talk to Molly about this when she comes on, because she just wrote a really good column about it, is this idea that Donald Trump is insane, okay? Donald Trump is insane, and somehow the country just happens to be running without him. Now, the reason I say that everything in the end becomes the Andrew Clavin show is because David Brooks, one of the most purblind writers at the New York Times, a former newspaper, is finally catching on. A little light has gone on in the mind of the in the little mind of David Brooks. So let us take a trip to what I like to call the op-ed page of the New York Times, or as I like to call it, Knucklehead Row. Oh, hey. So all day long, all we heard was Donald Trump is nuts and he's need, we need to start thinking about the 25th Amendment. We need to get rid of him, blah, 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 blah. You know, it's, it's this nonsense. This is stuff that they talk about in the Beltway. Nobody else believes it. Nobody else is going to do anything about it. Not going to happen. It doesn't exist. It's not a real thing. It's just something that's only happening in the minds of these people, like the fact that 2% of their audience at the NFL is, is being lost is not being is being lost and it has nothing to do with the flag. That that kind of craziness is just in the minds of these people. David Brooks 
This little glimmer of light now breaks through at the New York Times. Here's what he says. Let me start with three inconvenient observations based on dozens of conversations around Washington over the past year. First, people who go into the White House to have a meeting with President Trump usually leave pleasantly surprised. They find that Trump is not a raving madman they expected from his tweet storms or the media coverage. They generally say that he's affable if repetitive. He runs a normal, good meeting and seems well-informed enough to get by. Second, People who work in the Trump administration have wildly divergent views about their boss. Some think he's a deranged child, as Michael Wolff reported in this new book, Fire and Fury, but some think he is merely a distraction they can work around. Some think he is strange, but not impossible. Some genuinely admire Trump. Many filter out his crazy stuff and pretend it doesn't exist. My impression is that the Trump administration is an unhappy place to work because there's a lot of infighting and often no direction from the top. But this is not an administration full of people itching to invoke the 25th Amendment. Third, the White House is getting more professional. Imagine if Trump didn't tweet. The craziness of the past weeks would be out of the way, and we'd see a White House that is briskly pursuing its goals. The shift in our Pakistan policy, the shift in our offshore drilling policy, the fruition of our ISIS policy, the nomination for judgeships, and the formation of policies on infrastructure, DACA, North Korea, and trade. So in other words, David Brooks is suddenly noticing that things are going rather well at the White House, that things, and so maybe Trump is not out of his mind. Maybe he's not so crazy. The, the alternative theory that they're now putting forward, Ross Douthat, also at Knucklehead Row, put this forward. Also, Jonah Goldberg, one of my favorite writers, put this forward. The idea that essentially the White House is being run in spite of Donald Trump. In spite of Donald Trump, everybody's running around getting stuff done. And by the way, any place you work, people think they're getting stuff done in spite of the boss. That's true anyway. That's true here. It's true any place. Everybody always thinks, yeah, you know, with a, as long as we can get out, keep the boss out of the way, we'll definitely. get this stuff done. You know, it's definitely true in this sh- on this show particularly. But, <laughs> but this is this is like a, a typical thing that people think in any organization. But obviously, obviously the smarter a more Occam's razor, simpler explanation is that Donald Trump has this chaotic governing style that has served him well for 30 or 40 years. It has given him success and he keeps doing this. It's a little chaotic. It's a little bit, you know, putting people off against each other, but it's not any different than all these other presidents. Uh, You know, Victor Davis Hanson writes about the fact that Lyndon Johnson uh, used to uh, walk around and expose himself to his staff. He used to talk to people while he was on the toilet uh, and argue with them on the toilet. John Kennedy was banged so many of his staffers that they would come in. They wouldn't be able to interrupt him with important uh, national security news because he would be between two different women at the same time. I mean, the the White House is always been a slightly chaotic place. We just used to hide it a little better, but Trump thrives on it, so he's doing it. So I just before we we cut to Molly, because she has a lot to say about this and we want to talk about it, I just want to show you, though, the craziness on both sides, because Brian Stelter, what do they call him? They call him something like Mr. Potato Head. They have some funny name for him because he's such a dope. He is now putting forward this this craziness idea, and he's doing it like he's never mentioned it before. He's been talking about it for a year, and suddenly he's going to be brave. He is going to be brave and speak truth to power. He's going to come out with it. Here's Stelter making his case. <laughs> Maybe that wasn't the real Brian Stelter. Let's look. listen to the real Brian Stelter. The tiptoeing is over. The whispers are turning into shouts. President Trump's fitness for office is now the top story in the country. 
Reporters and some lawmakers are openly talking about the president's mental stability, his health, his competency. Now, partly that is because of this new Michael Wolff book. You know, Wolff claims that White House aides are united in the belief that Trump is incapable of being president. But, and here is the but, journalists are not judges or doctors. This is not a court or a hospital. What this moment needs from reporters is more reporting, not more speculating or guessing or rumor mongering, but more real reporting of what's going on. <laughs> there's, there's a guy rumor mongering and speculating while calling for more reporting than less rumor mongering speculating. But lest we think, lest we think that all the craziness is on the left, I have to play Alex Jones' reaction to Brian Stelter. This is priceless. But just look at Stelter again. Put him on screen. I think this all the broadcast should be is just a photo of Stelter smiling. Oh, oh, oh my gosh. Oh, hell on earth. He wants to run your life. He wants to control every aspect of your life because he knows he is a cowardly, degenerate sack of anti-human trash. I pledge before my heavenly father that I, 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 that I will resist them every way I can. These people are the literal demon spawn of the pit of hell. Look at him. And you know what? He is better than you if you keep letting him run your life. He runs your kids. He runs the schools. He runs the banks. This guy, this spirit, this smiling, leering devil that thinks you can't see what he is. He is your enemy, period. <laughs> All the narcissistic, devil-worshipping filth. <sighs> I see you, enemy. I see you, enemy. <laughs> oh, I love it. This, this, this show has become like a little, uh, you know, board of sanity floating in a <laughs> mad world. I love it. I love it. All right. But, but you're saying, yes, yes, but why do you look so great? Well, it's because I work out constantly. And one of the ways that help, work, that help you work out is Beachbody On Demand. It's an online fitness streaming service, gives you unlimited access to a wide variety of highly effective world-class workouts personalized to meet your needs. Beachbody On Demand also includes extensive nutritional content, all proven to help people achieve their health and fitness goals. And one of the reasons I like it is because I travel, it, you can see it on your phone, you can see it on your computer, you can... Uh, tap into all kinds of great uh, programs like P90X Insanity. If you've never tried P90X, that'll wake you up. It's really something. All you do to give the service a try, you can get a free trial membership if you text Andrew to 303030 on your phone. Text Andrew to 303030 on your phone. You get full access to the entire platform for free. All the workouts and nutritional information for free. Just text Andrew to 303030 Beachbody On Demand. You get the workout. You get the nutritional stuff. It really is an excellent service, and you can take it with you anywhere you go. One last ad before we get to Molly. That's Tuesday. Uh, is the conversation with me and Alicia. You can ask any question you want. That is uh, next Tuesday, right, at 5 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Pacific. Uh, we got to say goodbye to Facebook and YouTube, but come on over to thedailywire.com and you can listen to the rest of the show or subscribe and watch the whole thing right there.
All right, can we bring Molly up so I can actually... There she is. How you doing, Molly? <laughs> You're the senior editor of The Federalist. You are the best commentator now, uh, bar none, on Fox News. You're like this little voice of uh, sanity and reason that keeps popping up every now and again, something to cling to. It's uh, You're really doing a terrific job. Um I have been talking about these, what now seem to me to be two realities. There seem to be the reality of an administration that has a tremendous, has had a tremendously successful first year, in spite of all the things I said about them, all the things everybody said about them. They really have achieved a lot, you know, the, the defeat of ISIS, the appointment of great judges, the tax cut and all this. And now and you have a, an alternative reality of people talking about the fact that this guy is insane. You wrote a column today calling this essentially a coup attempt. Can you explain that? Well, you know, it's it, you have to kind of put it all in perspective, which is people really have been struggling to come to terms with the reality that Donald Trump won. And at first it was all about how fake news had duped people into voting for someone that they wouldn't have voted for otherwise. And then we had that year of Russia hysteria, which I think everyone kind of realizes is coming to nothing. And then as soon as everyone kind of realized there was nothing to the Russia scare, now everybody in unison is going back to this thing that they actually have hit on throughout the year, which is Donald Trump needs to be removed through the 25th Amendment. Yeah. The 25th Amendment is something for people who are physically incapacitated, and but not dead. Or, you know, they're... They've been shot and they're in a coma, but they're not dead. You know, something like this. It was passed, in fact, after JFK was shot. And it's clearly not about someone who behaves erratically, has behaved erratically for 40 years <laughs> yes. or more. It's not erratic for him to behave erratically, yeah. And who everybody knew was the way he is when they voted for him. Uh, but that's how it's kind of being used now. And it's and so there's this drumbeat like, oh, we have to get rid of him through the 25th Amendment. And it reminded me of this. Um, there was that show 24 that was sure. very popular and they used the 25th amendment and they want, they're mad at the president cause he's not as interventionist as they'd like him to be. And so they oust him through the 25th amendment. And I just think people should know what we're talking about because it's obviously not that people really think that president Trump can't fulfill the duties of his office. They're just still struggling because they don't like him. You know, there strikes me, though, as something, and I don't want to sound like Alex Jones. I mean, I was playing him before, and he's out of his mind at the at the media. But there is there does something strike me as something, I hate to use this word, but unpatriotic about this continually browbeating the president of the United States who was duly elected. He is doing his job. There's, there's nothing, the country's not falling apart. Nobody's being dragged out of his home for doing videos or, or and no, nobody's, no reporters are having their phones tapped or anything like that. It, there's, something, there's something wrong with going on every day as a newsman, as a theoretical journalist, and just attacking the guy constantly? Or am I overstating it? I don't know. I mean, first off, I do think it's kind of funny that the conspiracy <laughs> theorist in chief is now subjected to all these conspiracies. Like, <laughs> fair enough. That's fair enough. <laughs> who went around for years claiming that he had evidence that Barack Obama wasn't born in the country. Uh, that's ludicrous. And it was wrong of him to do it. So it's kind of funny. On the other hand, if you don't like that he was doing stuff like that, you shouldn't be doing it yourself. And that's what so many people in the media are doing. And they therefore don't have good, they don't have a good means of speaking against him when they are no better than he was. And it it is wrong to delegitimize a president just because you don't like him. And what's weird is 
Whereas on the right, you saw those delegitimization attempts kind of in the fever swamps, although one of them was elected president, admittedly. Um, it's just so weird to see it among all these major media and establishment people who are just no better than he was and engaging in wild conspiracy theories. One of the things that uh, really startles me is when I get out of uh, L.A. and when I go around and talk to people, people are amazingly nuanced in their views. People who support Trump say, yeah, I like him, but I wish he'd shut up on Twitter a little bit. People who hate him say, you know, I hate him, but he's done some good things. And, I, you know, I don't like his attitude, but he's done some good things. That that voice virtually doesn't exist, except for you, that voice virtually doesn't exist on the, in the media. Is it just because it doesn't sell? <laughs> I, I actually don't understand this at all. I mean, it has been over a year since he was elected. There are a lot of people who are just not very well represented in the media. And I don't understand why you don't have more people representing that viewpoint or just, you know, people who aren't completely enraged one way or the other. Either, you know, there's nothing wrong that he can do or everything he does is worse than Hitler. It just seems like there's a lot of middle ground and it would be nice to see people more in that space. So just talking about reality for a second, just to bring us back to reality, what are you looking to happen now? What are you looking forward to happening now in this administration? They had this great first year. Oh. They kind of put a cap on it with the tax cuts. Where where do they go now? What What is there left for them to do? I think that usually when you have a presidency, they get a lot done in their first year and then it goes down from there. Right. But I think this presidency might be different because it was so chaotic. They really are a bunch of outsiders. Uh, Donald Trump was elected in almost like a revolution, but he didn't have an army to come along with him. So I have this weird idea that maybe you'll just see improvement after improvement. I mean, those first few months really were chaotic. I yeah. mean- it was pretty crazy, but they accomplished a lot. And now I think Congress has figured out how to work with them. Now, who knows what will happen in the midterms? So, you, you know, maybe they'll try and get a bunch done before the impeachment happens. Um, <laughs> but I don't know. I mean, I could see it being this kind of presidency where each year it gets better and better through that final eighth year. And do you think that there's any chance? I mean, there's some stuff on the table that you would think Democrats would be willing to compromise on. Uh, infrastructure, certainly. They usually love infrastructure with its, you know, its, its union graft half the time. Uh, and and uh, the even the DACA thing where he says, you know, give me the wall and I'll give you dock. I mean, isn't that politics as usual? Are they so far beyond that? Are their donors so uh, uh, dedicated to shutting down any kind of compromise that there's no way of, of moving forward on those things? Yeah, I, I think that the big fear that a lot of conservatives had was that Donald Trump would be elected and he'd come right out of the gate being really progressive with an infrastructure plan yeah. and whatnot. Um, and had he done that, I think he might have gotten a lot of support from the left. But now they've decided that they really do want to just move toward impeachment. And so all of next year, all of this year has to be about how he's unfit and you can't work with him in any way, because if you work with him in any way, that means you're enabling him. So they might leave a bunch of stuff on the table. But on the DACA fix, I think that they have a bigger plan than just DACA. They actually just have a fundamentally different view about immigration and border control and border security and enforcement. And there was that leaked memo that came out showing that for them, uh, lax immigration enforcement is a key part of their electoral plan. 
And so it might be that they just say they care about DACA when really they care about, in general, not having good border security or enforcement. I mean, that does make it very difficult to listen to Chuck Schumer talk about the uselessness of a wall when we've ne- we've never seen anything from them, uh, anything to say that there should be any kind of rule of law at the border at all. Actually, a few years ago, they all voted, <laughs> they for, voted border, for that. That's, for yeah. a border fence, at least, which is not that much different from a border wall. So they are on record actually claiming to care about it, but they never funded it. And so it is time. I mean, I actually just wish we had a much better conversation about immigration in general. I'm a fan of immigration, but immigration, you know, it's it's good for the country. I have a lot of family who are immigrants and people who are part of an immigrant family. They know better than anybody that you want to have a coherent, sensible immigration policy. And a lot of what we're doing just doesn't make sense. And, you know, there are rules about being a country and about sovereignty. <laughs> and it would be nice if people just could talk and that we could all openly come together on a shared policy. I mean, this thing that they announced yesterday about how that temporary program for victims of the earthquake in El Salvador in 2001 right. was coming to an end. Well, yeah, it's, it's kind of crazy that you let people live here for 18 years and then tell them that it's time to go because they have until next year to get out. Um, at the same time, people should have been told at the outset if that wasn't a temporary program. And there's just so much deception to the American people. And I think people are kind of getting sick of it. It seems that way to me. I want to ask you a, a little bit about the uh, the Golden Globes and Oprah. But before I get to that, I, I you, you've used this word conversation a couple of times. And I, I sit and watch the television and watch the news and find myself incredibly frustrated that there is, is no such thing as a conversation. Instead of having a conversation about the rule of law, for instance, versus, uh, you know, being a welcoming country, uh, we have a conversation where we say, you know, you're hateful if you don't want to have open borders. Instead of uh, having discussions about anything, it basically is always posed as, as hatred versus the left's point of view. Is there, is there any way, I mean, is there any way you see that changing? Is that something that we just have to live with as the press essentially, to me, the press has become part of the problem. I mean, I'm, I'm a First Amendment purist. I don't believe in any restrictions on the press whatsoever, but it does seem to me that the press has just become part of what makes this country so difficult to govern. Well, I do think we have serious problems with the people who make up our press corps and how they're deciding to do things. I also think it's a problem with us as a people, though, which is there is a reason why in TV you don't have people agreeing but fighting. And that's because people like to see fighting and they like to see, you know, you going for the jugular with each other. So we need to improve ourselves and demand higher things ourselves. It's not like this just happened in a vacuum and um, and that they're forcing this on people. This is what people like to see. They like to see snark and sniping and yelling and not people coming to agreement. Yeah, no, I think that, that that's fair enough. Uh, I, I have to. I, I saw part of the Golden Globes, and I, I can barely. I can barely tolerate uh, watching the people who basically were silent for thirty years while Harvey Weinstein, you know, uh, preyed on people, uh, coming out and having this kind of self righteous attitude that now, by golly, we're speaking out now that we've gotten our Oscars and we've gotten our million dollar paychecks. You know, it's it's now we're going to blame essentially Donald Trump and, and America. When you see when you see this movement, I mean, is this something that is just passing through? Is this a witch hunt that's passing through, or is there actually something in the air that is changing uh, in America's attitudes about this? 
I don't know. I mean, I think it's funny that it started and everybody was very, it's not funny, but it's interesting that it started. Everybody was really excited about it. And then it turned out that because so many powerful people are liberals, and it's not because liberals are worse by human nature. We all have the same human nature, but liberals dominate the media and Hollywood and all these exciting places where powerful people were coming down. And then all of a sudden everybody kind of backed off. And I think the Golden Globes was actually a great example of that. They were pretending that they were all concerned about it and they all wore black, which was stunningly brave (laughs) for the color that they wear all the time. But you know, they, then they put Oprah Winfrey up and she gives this speech as if she weren't, if she wasn't someone who was, you know, totally involved in this the whole time. I mean, she was kissing him on the cheek and introducing him to, to his prey and all this. And it's, it's just, it's so fake. I know that, I know that Hollywood is by definition, you know, a bunch of actors, but it's just hard to take them seriously in this milieu. I, I wonder too, I, I've just noticed this disconnect between the audience and the people producing the entertainment. I was talking about the fact that the NFL cannot understand why their ratings have gone down and they keep saying, you know, it's it's gotta it's gotta be something besides this gigantic nail that says we disrespect the flag in the center of our forehead. Yeah. Uh, and I think that the movies are the same way. I mean, they're giving awards to movies that nobody sees. And people like us who like the movies, we may go see them and, and praise them, but nobody is going to see movies like Lady Bird or, you know, Moonlight or any of those, you know, those, those are pictures that essentially are unwatched by the great greater public, which used to be what the movies were about. I mean, it used to be that when you went to a big movie, everyone had seen it. Now it's only the people in L.A. and New York who watch these films at all that they, they win the awards. So they've kind of lost touch with us completely. Right. And I think, you know, they're seeing that in their revenues and yeah. that they are having struggling to make the same type of money that they were. On the other hand, you have all this golden age of television stuff and people are, you know, just technology changes and whatnot. But I used to be one of those people that was proud to watch award shows. I liked watching them. I had fun. I love fashion and I love seeing things like just it was fun. And I you couldn't have paid me to watch the other night. And I'm not one of these Oh, I don't like Hollywood people. I mean, I I have friends who work there and I have always loved it, but I just don't feel like getting lectured to without enough reason to overcome the lecturing. And there was not enough reason to overcome. It always reminds me of that last scene of the madness of King George, where he says, smile and wave at the people. That's what we're here for. (laughs) They should do the same. Molly Hemingway, the editor, senior editor at The Federalist, commentator on Fox News. You continue to do a great job, Molly. I appreciate your coming by. I hope you just come by again. Thank you. Um, yeah, it, it's it's frustrating. It, you know, Thanks. the committee uh, to it's it's funny. I should say this: it's frustrating when I talk to Molly or when I listen to her on the air. She's so commonsensical. You kind of think like, why can't everybody talk like that? You know, I mean, even on the other side, I, it would be fine if she had more left wing views and she would speak sensibly about you know the, her her excellent point about there being an irony of Donald Trump getting caught up in conspiracy theories. That's the kind of thing you never hear Trump supporters say, but it is a perfectly valid point and really uh, interesting. Uh, here's a story just talking about this dual reality, the reality of these people's imagination, the reality of reality. The Committee to Protect Journalists named President Trump as the winner of its overall achievement in undermining Global Press Freedom Award in its Press Oppressors Awards Monday. And this is very simply because Donald Trump has done absolutely nothing to curtail the freedom of the press. I mean, there are countries on this planet where if you say the wrong thing, there's a knock on your door and nobody ever sees you again. Mr. Trump, you know, Trump 
it does attack the press, and sometimes he's a little excessive about it. But we haven't seen him, for instance, seeking warrants to eavesdrops on journalists, which Obama did, to, so he could find out their sources. Obama's Justice Department uh, did that to James Rosen and uh, Fox News. Uh, you know, we don't see like uh, video makers being carted off in the middle of the night. Ob- Obama was. Famously, famously closed off to the press, famously bullied them, famously called up whenever they said anything that he didn't like. Donald Trump doesn't do any of this stuff. He just openly attacks them. He openly fences with them, which seems to me to be, um, you know, part of a free press. He has as much right to free speech as anybody else. He has the bully pulpit. These guys are so thin-skinned. They are so uh, small-minded that really— it's them. It is them. They are a threat to themselves simply by the fact that they are, say, one side over and over again. It kind of legitimizes arguments against them. If they would let other people speak, if they would give voice to all kinds of different people, nobody would be picking on them at all. You know, then Donald Trump would, you know, these guys are rocket fuel for guys like Trump. I used to say this of, uh, of uh, Rush Limbaugh. If the press were fair, they wouldn't be a Rush Limbaugh. That stuff is rocket fuel to guys like that. Like that. I love Rush. I think he's one of the great broadcasters of all time. But I mean, he lives in the lies. He lives on the lies of the mainstream media. All right, let us do some sexual follies. So I'm sure I have uh, spoken before about my most sexist theory, this theory I have that is most sexist and offensive, and I'll give it to you again. But before I do, let's just play a little bit. At the end of the Golden Globe Awards, um, uh, Oprah got up and gave this presidential speech and this ringing thing, little girls of America unite, you have nothing to lose but your skirts. I don't know, what, you know, whatever she was saying. It's like a new day is dawning. Here is some of the crazy reaction to that on the, on the news afterwards never seen this show of solidarity from a group of women and the men who support them and encourage them. It's extraordinary. And then Oprah's speech just was like the apex. She gave a master class in oratory that brought Hollywood to its feet and the status quo to its knees. And when that new day finally dawns, it will be because of a lot of magnificent women many of whom are right here in this room tonight, and some pretty phenomenal men fighting hard to make sure that they become the leaders who take us to the time when nobody ever has to say, me too, again. Thank you. It was very powerful. It was very impactful. It was, there's no one else who does Oprah like Oprah. Oprah is the greatest communicator in television of the last 50 years. It's one of the many things that Hollywood admires her for. They recognize that Oprah is the best storyteller of her generation. And where that comes from is this phenomenal ability to communicate, this amazing capacity for empathy and for displaying it on television. So they're pushing her as the presidential candidate. For, here's Just to give you the other side, here's Trump's reaction when he heard about this. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, Vito. Oprah would be a lot of fun. I know her very well. You know, I did one of her last shows. She had Donald Trump. This is before politics. Her last week. And she had Donald Trump and my family. It was very nice. No, I like Oprah. I don't think she's going to run. I don't think she's going to run. I know her very well. 
I, I don't think she's going to run either, by the way. And one of the reasons is, is because Donald Trump is a, a street fighter and a mudslinger and Oprah's whole uh, um, persona is being a saint. And the minute the tr- any, since nobody's a saint, the minute any truth comes out about her, it's going to bring her down to earth very hard. I don't think she's going to do it either. Here's my cre- here's my evil sexist theory. Okay, my evil sexist theory is this: when a an organization, when a industry that is run by men and ruled by men starts to be taken over by women, it is because the industry is over. The, that aspect of the industry is over. That is not because women bring it down. It is because the men create the industry. Men go off and they do new things. They take risks that women don't take. They uh, invent stuff. They come up with fresh ideas. And then the women say, well, why don't we have that? But by the time you say, why don't we have that? The industry is over. So if you notice that like there were no female anchor women until anchor men became obsolete. Who cares what an anchor man says now, right? There's no, that used to be a big position when back in the day of um, Walter Cronkite, that was a big authoritative position. By the time women came in and started to be women, anchor women, nobody cared what they say. So now they're saying they're going to be women directors. They're going to be women directors about in the movies. And have you noticed movies are irrelevant? Movies are irrelevant. It's, it's, really, it's really very simple. If you're listening, and obviously when I make these generalizations, they're generalizations. They're exceptions to the rule. That doesn't change the generalization being true. If you're listening to two 12-year-olds and one of them says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take undo all these cardboard boxes. I'm going to build a ramp, and then I'm going to skateboard down this ramp and take off and fly to the moon. Are you listening to a girl or a boy? You're listening to a boy because only a boy is stupid enough to do something that obviously is going to get break every bone in his body, right? But that is the way that you invent industries. That's the way you invent video games. That's the way you invent movies. That's the way you invent TV. That's the way you invent uh, Silicon Valley. So by the time women come along and start to say, you know, we want a part of this, demanding a part of it, not just building stuff, not just making stuff, but demanding a part of it. They're being given something politically. They're being given something. They're not earning it. They're not taking it away. And that means that industry can, is so big uh, and and has become so irrelevant, essentially, to the, the actual uh, product that it makes has become irrelevant. It can afford to give stuff away. It can afford to say, okay, you can have a job too. You can have a job too. So when you're watching the movies and you start to hear about the new female directors, just also pay attention to the box office because nobody goes to see these movies anymore. The only movies they go to see are superhero movies. Those are the only tentpole movies make money at this point. The movie industry is over. Television, streaming is everything. Soon, even that will be over and it will be uh, individual guys making stuff on YouTube and putting stuff out on apps and things like that. It's going to be a much more democratized uh process. They're going to, there will be new technologies. Those will be invented by, governed by men. And when you hear women say, we, we deserve a place at the table, it'll be because those industries are over. Most sexist uh, theory I have uh, and uh, should get me any place else that would get me taken off the air. Thank God I'm at the Daily Wire where we are just evil. The mailbag is tomorrow. The mailbag is tomorrow. Go on to thedailywire.com. Subscribe. Support the evil. Support the evil. You know you want to. Support the evil at thedailywire.com. Subscribe. Hit the podcast button. Hit my podcast. Send in your questions. The answers are guaranteed 100% correct and will change your life on occasion for the better. I'm Andrew Claven. This is The Andrew Claven Show. The Andrew Claven Show is produced by Robert Sterling, executive producer Jeremy Boring, senior producer Jonathan Hay. 
Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. Technical producer, Austin Stevens. Edited by Alex Zingaro. Audio is mixed by Mike Cormina. Hair and makeup is by Jesua Alvera. And our animations are by Cynthia Angulo and Jacob Jackson. The Andrew Clavin Show is a Daily Wire Forward Publishing production. Copyright Forward Publishing 2017.